did this ourselves. They're coming. It can't be. Where is everyone? Hello, survivors. Welcome to the Apocalypse Postcast, a podcast. I'm your host, Makeshift, and I thought that I would start this whole podcast thing by talking a little bit about myself and how I started the Apocalypse Post, getting all the way back into my post-apocalypse history of how I've built this tiny little empire of post-apocalypse media. (laughs) Uh, So I guess my first dive into post-apocalypse world, into the post-apocalypse world, was when I was a kid. I was maybe like nine or ten and um, my parents used to go over to their friend's house to play poker. Uh, uh, there was like three couples. My parents were one couple. There were two other couples. There would be, other, you know, some random other people that would show up. And they would just play cards all night till like one or two in the morning because that's just how hard they partied. They'd play some cards for like nickels and dimes. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. There was one other couple that had one other kid our age, but the the couple that was hosting this particular night, their kids were, uh, they were still kind of babies and there was a baby and a toddler. Um, and so they didn't really have a whole lot of toys for us in the um, upper single digits to entertain ourselves. We would go play outside as long as we possibly could until the sun went down or it got too cold. And then we'd have to head inside and find something on the TV. Well, my my parents' friend, Cindy, said uh, she she noticed that we may have been a little bored or especially me I don't I don't think my brothers were actually paying attention to this but um, she said have you seen this movie and I was like no it was the Road Warrior and um, this was obviously not the cartoons or Ninja Turtles movies that I was used to but I watched the whole thing I was absolutely glued to it and even though I might not have understood the themes of like sex slaves and fetish wear and whatever the hell a smegma crazy was supposed to be, I did pick up on all those ideas of survival and this lone wolf hero called upon to help other people over himself. And it wasn't until sometime later that I saw Beyond Thunderdome pop up on cable television. Of course, I recognized Mad Max, even though he was a little rougher for wear with Uh, longer hair and a little less gasoline but I was surprised to find out that I wasn't watching Mad Max the Road Warrior the movie that I had already seen and I was like wait there's more of these I I did not know because this was before the internet before like Netflix before shoot I don't know how we used to find out about movies other than just going to the rental store and walking around and just like hoping to find a, a cover that made you think, what well, this might be cool. And especially when a movie wasn't new, we weren't being advertised it. Like Mad Max came out before I was born. Beyond Thunderdome came out before I could read. You know, like, how do you find out about movies? Of course you find out about them through your friends. But it's just so wild now because today you can just jump on the internet, put a, put a, uh, a search in for like, you know, best movies on Netflix 2021, and they'll pop up. You could put up best post-apocalypse movies, Netflix 2021, and they'll pop up. Like, you can't not find what you're looking for, except that maybe there's too much now. There used to be not enough. Now there's way too much. And it's, it's, a, it's a, there's a lot of garbage out there that you got to kind of weed through. But the point is, if you're looking for it, you can find it. And if you if you know even like a search term, you can find it. So finding stuff that you're into now is so much easier. Plus with like with like Facebook pages and forums and Reddit and all this stuff. Like once you think you're into something, 
that that world just opens up to you because you can find a whole lot of other people that are into that same thing. And that's something new. Back when I was nine or 10, you really, you know, you watch what your parents watched. And then, you know, it was you were just getting into that age where you might meet some new friends that are also into something. And hopefully what they were into was something cool. Because if your friends were into like the Power Rangers... <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you started nerding out about that. Now, I'm not trying to, like, you know, nerd shame anybody. The Power Rangers are great. I watched a ton of Power Rangers, which is why I brought it up. But, um, you know, you were kind of limited by what your friends were into. So, anyway, just a whole thing of me aging myself in the world before the Internet. Uh, it was tough to find movies. <laughs> okay, all that to say that... Back in the day, you didn't have the internet to find new movies, and you didn't have a way to find what you're into other than just through your friends or through hearsay, especially through your parents. Like, you, you know, what your parents buy you is what you watch. So anyway, it was years later um, that freaking Waterworld came out. It was like Mad Max on water. It had pirates, insane stunts. And I got to admit, this was probably one of my top five most watched movies of all time. Uh, and... I don't, I don't remember if I first saw the actual movie, like the theatrical cut, or if I first saw the cut that was on cable television, like on the weekends. Um, but it, it didn't matter. This movie was amazing. It was a lot of fun. It starred Kevin Costner, who was really hot at the time. Um, and now I wasn't just a Mad Max fan. I was a post-apocalypse fan. This Mad Max ripoff took all those same themes of a lone wolf survivor having to learn to care again about perfect strangers. And I don't, I think for a lot of us that like the post-apocalypse themes, um, that's something we can all really latch on to is, is, is the idea of someone that has lost everything and has for so long just relied on, well, relying on themselves. And they're forced into this situation where they have to kind of reacclimate to the real world. Not the real world, but just a, a different world. Um, and have to start caring about other people again. I find that really fascinating. And um, it's something that pops up in post-apocalypse all the time. Sometimes you get these movies, um, like a lot of zombie movies, are about a group of people or a pair of people. Um, but the lone wolf keeps popping up. And we see that in like the Fallout video games and all over the place. It's pretty fascinating. And so from once I saw Waterworld, I tried to watch every post-apocalypse movie I could. And, and one step better, I started playing those post-apocalypse video games. I was introduced to Fallout 3 as my first like real open-world post-apocalypse game. And I was hooked. This was when I had first moved to L.A. And uh, my, my best friends and my roommates, Jay and Sean, they had gotten um, Fallout 3 right when it came out. And they started playing side by side. And I would just watch because I was pretty poor at the time. I didn't have my own copy, nor was I even interested in the game because I had never heard about it before. And so I just watched them play. And I got to admit, I was hooked. Because not only were you watching the hero, but you were the hero. Uh, or the villain if you wanted to be. This game, you could really kind of chart your own path. And I thought that that was really cool. I ended up playing a hell of a lot of that game on their consoles. Um... <laughs> eventually i got my own copy but uh and i've and i've bought every fallout since uh, i think we can all agree that um fallout 76 is garbage but everything other than that has been a lot of fun to play 
And so this was around uh, 2007, 2008 in L.A., and web series were just becoming a thing. Uh, and this is where the story kind of takes a turn. I had a friend of a friend, a friend of Jay's. That was my roommate. A friend of my roommate Jay's, his name was James Rodimer. He was a photographer turned filmmaker, uh, and he made a web series called Apocalyptic Playground. It started out kind of improvised, more of like a moving photo session, more visual, thematic, uh, not a whole lot of story, although that evolved over time. But I found the project incredibly inspiring, and honestly, I tried to get involved. But it just didn't work out for whatever reason. You know, I offered my services as like a boom holder or just, you know, let me come on set and, and help with whatever you need. But um, I didn't have a car at the time and uh, we were still kind of new friends. So for whatever reason, I didn't get to jump onto the project. But from what I did get to see and do, uh, I learned a few like hidden gem locations around L.A. that could be stolen by a no budget indie filmmaker. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, the, the, the main location was like a, uh, an abandoned refinery. And of course, outside LA, when you get out into the desert, you can find some really cool landscapes that are like park or, um, a defunct volcano or just a, a ghost town. So there's a lot of like really cool opportunities outside LA. If you're, you know, keeping your, your production really small and, um, and you don't ask permission because then they can't tell you no. I had moved to L.A. as a bit of a wannabe actor. Um, I was doing all sorts of arts and music, and um, I went to college for theater, so I figured I'd try my hand at the whole Hollywood world. And But I was really, um, I was really hungry for a project to act in. I wasn't getting auditions. I was literally just trying to survive at this point. Um, so my... Myself and my co-creator, Aaron Fenton, went about creating our own story. It would be post-apocalyptic, just like Apocalypse Playground, but scripted from day one. And it would incorporate a few themes from our own life experiences. We would get to tell our own story. So we started writing our web series and called it Alpha Planet. Um, and briefly, it takes place far in the future when humankind has abandoned the Earth in search of a new home. A planetary exploration crew is sent back to Earth as a last-ditch effort to find a safe place for humanity and find it in surprisingly habitable shape, and most shockingly, still inhabited. As they dig deeper into those left behind, they discover what may be the universe's biggest conspiracy of control and survival. And so we got our three episodes written and started planning our first shoot. The hardest thing about being a no-name actor, having no budget and having no gear, is that you have no budget and no gear. I couldn't find anybody with a camera to commit to an ongoing web series. We were going to try to do like 10 or 12 episodes of this thing. And um, when I couldn't find anyone to be the DP or be the director, I bit the bullet and decided to become just that. I was the director, the DP, and the editor, and I gave away my role. We filled out the lead cast with some of our very talented friends. Mike and Jen Sweeney would play the broken romantic couple Adam and Karen. Luke would be played by the very talented Don Jeans, who a few years later made it big as the Budweiser Super Bowl cowboy. And my good friend J.D. Mendonca, who played Ian, the team's scientist. Then I took every dollar I had, I bought a camera and a cheap microphone mounted on the end of a painter's pole, along with a few other pieces of the cheapest gear on the market. And just like that, I was a filmmaker. The series did okay. It was a ton of fun to make, but um, definitely, you know, shows the learning curve and um, definitely the, the work of a first-time creator. 
But as we continued making episodes and started actually publishing them for people to see, I was trying to find groups of post-apocalypse fans to share it with. And I just happened to stumble on a brand new event happening nearby in the Mojave Desert called Wasteland Weekend. While I missed the first event, the pictures came back showing this dedicated crowd of Mad Max fans all decked out in leather and makeshift weaponry along with vehicles and full-size set pieces, and I said there is no way that I'm going to miss the next one. And so I jumped on the website and saw that they had a whole volunteer program, and one of them was photographer, and I said, you know, that's the one for me. And I was just about to send in my application to be a photographer when another filmmaking friend of mine named Stefan pointed me towards the documentary crew, saying if we teamed up, we could absolutely crush it. And I knew how much work would be involved in this, but I agreed since um, he'd be working alongside me. Well, that spring of 2011, we were accepted as video volunteers and invited to the first big workday at Wasteland Weekend's new art director, Adam Chilson's place. Uh, Stefan unfortunately got busy with other projects and had to back out completely, but I decided to go ahead without him. Luckily, my brother John came along to handle a second camera. I got to meet all three of Wasteland's owners, that's Jared, Carl, and Adam, and uh, watched as Adam and his build crew were putting together the original Wasteland gates. I mean, this thing was seriously impressive. There were these massive metal gates flanked on both sides by eight-foot piles of tires mimicking the gas compound from Mad Max Road Warrior. This is also when I met Marcus and Rob, the guys that would go on to create my tribe, the Dukes of the Nuke. And fun fact, at that point they hadn't devised the name and were working under the possibility of calling the tribe Fubar. Which would have worked, but then we wouldn't be the Dukes of the Nuke. Well, we went into the night, capturing the build and interviewing most people that were there in turn, and used that footage to create the first Wasteland Weekend promo for Wasteland 2011. My next shoot day was with the Juggers and the Last Chance Casino Tribe, uh, along with the Dome of Destruction group, uh, when they were all having a build day. Jared brought me along with them as they talked about what was going to be a few of the biggest additions to Wasteland Weekend 2011. And um, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and then came time for the big event. I showed up a few days early with a bunch of my group members to shoot the build. And back then, it was just a few days before the gates opened and uh, the festival was on. As it was promised, Wasteland Weekend was like stepping right into a Mad Max movie. There were rumbling cars, a Thunderdome with fights to the death, and all sorts of apocalyptic entertainment. After the event, I created Wasteland Weekend's first-ever highlights reel. I showed it to Jared, who said if this was all he ever got from us on the video crew, he was already happy. And we decided to release it to a live audience that happened to be gathering for Paul Miller's Mad Max fan film called Mad Max Renegade, which was an awesome film that takes place between Mad Max 1 and 2, filling a lot of the gaps and telling a little bit more of Mad Max's story. That night, the highlights reel was a hit and kicked off a decade of showing off all the best the event had to offer to a soundtrack from one of the live bands at the event. And that spring, after I had logged all the footage, I asked Jared if he wanted to produce a how-to series about the event. He agreed, and we worked together to create the How to Survive the Apocalypse at Wasteland Weekend series. These were short videos helping people to get prepared and get involved in the event. And along the way, it made a few of the first Wasteland Weekend celebrities, as the host of each episode would get recognized at the event. And that's where I learned my true power.
<laughs> in 2012, I started making videos that would exist outside the Wasteland Weekend space and created a new home for them called the Apocalypse Post. I started telling stories about Wasteland Weekend and beyond. At first, I called myself a different name, Mad Mike, and I spoke with an Australian accent, but changed my name and dropped the accent along the way. Um, I, I don't know... I don't know exactly why. Uh, I noticed that Mad Mike was actually uh, a very common nomenclature for other Wastelanders. Uh, and so I wanted something a little bit more original. And the Australian accent just wasn't that good. <laughs> so I figured I would simplify things and just stick with my own voice. The Apocalypse Post has been going on for the better part of a decade, and its I still feel like it's just getting started. After a couple years of producing the highlights reel, Johan Johansson joined the video crew and helped manage the scheduling and also took the lead on the 2014 edit. That year, which is the only highlights reel I have not cut personally, is the year that I stepped aside and instead produced the We Are Wasteland video. While the highlights showed off the event in its most hard-hitting, explosive, action-packed persona, the We Are Wasteland video showed off the softer, tender, I love you, man, side of Wasteland. It was made to echo some of the things I had heard other Wastelanders say about the event, that it was home, that it was family. And it showed just uh, the softer side of Sears, you know, like people got to share it because, yeah, the, the entertainment and, and, and all the visuals and all the noise is really energizing. But at the same time, there's this, this, second side of wasteland that is all the friendships you'll make and 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 the feeling of coming home to familiar space and over the years uh wasteland has continued to grow it, it grew out of its original home at h park in california city to a new sprawling piece of land uh, owned by the event with room to grow well into the future from its original three days and 700 people the way i joined it in 2011 it's now five days and over 5,000 people attend, and roughly 50,000 people uh, plus, I don't even know how many, follow its online social groups. Over the years, I've published over 100 videos on the Apocalypse Post, including several well-received documentaries and uh, many videos that have helped Wastelanders feel ready for the event. And that brings us up to today, as I launch this podcast. I'm not sure exactly what this will be yet, and I'm not sure how often I'll post, but I'm excited about it, and I hope you are too. And... I know there's certain ideas I've had that don't work as well for video, so you can expect me to bounce back and forth for a little while depending on how I'm feeling. Overall, this is just something that I feel driven to do, and when you guys come back after I publish something and say that it helped or say that it was entertaining, or as one wastelander named Spud likes to say, dude, like that stuff fuels me. And that's one of the reasons I love this community. There's the, the people, um, there's the creativity, there's the passion, and there's also the acceptance because Wastelanders are fringe, I guess you can say. Um, they're not, they're not goth. They're not Burning Man. They're not gamers. They're not anything. They're, they're their own thing. And it's this own art form that is formed. And the, the overabundance of acceptance for whichever, however you want to interpret that, however, However you are in the real world, whatever your character is in the wastes, uh, you find acceptance in Wasteland City because there's 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 no rules about who you can be. There might be rules about like, all right, there's no zombies, there's no there's no aliens, there's no ray guns. Um, you know, our apocalypse takes place in like a Mad Max type of world. Uh, 
I, I like to call it science nonfiction. Like it, it's something that can happen with today's technology. Um, usually atomic bomb, but it could be environmental. It could be disease. Um, it's, you know, it's something that, that could destroy the world today. And so there are a few rules, but once you're in there, like whoever you are, whoever you create is totally fine. And, um, I don't, I don't know if there's another community that's that accepting and actually more accepting for things that they find more different. Does that make sense? Like it's super exciting when things kind of blow your mind. Overall, I got to say, it's been an absolute honor being one of your storytellers for the last 10 years. And I am so looking forward to keep it going and keep it growing. Um, so I guess that's it. Let me know what you guys want to hear. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, I'd love to have you on to talk about whatever you're excited about. So feel free anytime to send an email to theapocpost at gmail.com. Tell me what you want to talk about and we'll see if we can get you on. <sighs> I guess that's about it. So uh, next week I'm going to bring in some wastelanders and we're going to talk about some wasteland stories. And um, I got an upcoming interview with Paul Miller, the guy I talked about earlier, because uh, him and his tribe actually brought the ship from Waterworld to Wasteland Weekend as one of the largest set pieces I've ever seen there. They brought it for many, many years. Um, so we're going to go find out that story. And we're going to talk to Apaka rock bands like Attack, uh, V2A out of the UK. Um, we've got an interview scheduled with them coming up. And uh, there'll be more episodes like this where I just kind of rant for a little while. Hopefully not too many because my voice is fried. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I hope you guys have a good time and, um, I guess we'll see you next time. I've got this, I've got this, uh, little bit of text I got to finish up with. Here we go. You ready? <clears throat> the apocalypse postcast, a podcast is produced by Mike makeshift darling with support from our Patreon supporters, including producer Paul Waldrop. Make sure to smash that subscribe button wherever you're listening. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. And if you hated it, Share it with your enemies, wrapped in a bow, with a note that says, definitely not bees. Until next time, survivors, stay alive. And days and days and days and days and days.